Yes, we do. Welcome, everybody. If there's anybody here today that is thinking about getting baptised, well, that's a good idea. But you can't do it right this minute, but in a few minutes' time, we have a baptism tank behind that curtain. We have all the gear, bathers and towels and everything, and water. So um, if anybody would like to, and also want to pray for the Holy Spirit. But uh, right now, we're just going to have a bit of a look at the Word. We skit last night. Do you remember that? Let's turn to the Word. Have the Word written up on the wall. Okay. Talk, my talk today is about commitment. We preach what's called the full gospel. I remember hearing that term within about a week of being witnessed to. I'd never heard it before. And maybe the very thought of claiming to preach the full full gospel is that maybe others don't preach a full gospel. Otherwise, why would, would you have that phrase? Not a Bible term, by the way. The word gospel is, but not full gospel. Sort of um, stuck to the Pentecostal revival of the last hundred years and the fact that we preach the full gospel. I want to particularly think about the way that uh, people did preach it in Bible days. Let's start off in Matthew chapter 3. What I'm wanting to do today is to have a look at the way they did it and really, I dare say, suggesting there's no better way of doing it than the way that they went about telling the gospel and preaching the gospel to their generation. Even though we're 2,000 years later, the same blueprint, the same manner in which they went about it is mostly still the best way you can go about it. Here we see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now it goes on about John there a little bit more. But what we do know is the first thing that he said was the word repent. That was the first word. Now the, the word repent um, in margin references uh, answerable to a, an amendment of life, answerable to an amendment of life, where we want to do something that is going to change our life and change our direction. Even in the sense of when people talk about they repented, they of that that they did something, it usually means they want to go back and wish they hadn't done something or, or change something. In this particular case. The Lord wants us to change our life and change our direction. So when we repent, it really means that things are never going to be the same again. But it's the first thing in, the, in our commitment to the Lord that really maybe we as preachers of the gospel should be bringing home to people when we're preaching the gospel, bring them to a point of repentance. I guess I'm almost saying don't jump over that. Don't go beyond that before you've got to that. That's how they did it in the Bible. They brought people to repentance. I dare say they talked about sinful life and how that, you know, uh, all of sin and come short of the glory of God and without the sacrifice of Jesus and your acceptance of it, there will be no salvation and go on and on. The whole idea is to get the person to have a change of heart and to think about where they're at. Just there in chapter 4 and verse 17, we see that Jesus started off the same way a few days later. Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he started off exactly the same way. That was 
A New Testament expression, by the way. Don't, you can't turn to the Old Testament and find that. There's a different sort of a system. I'm not saying there wasn't the promise of eternal life, but they didn't dwell on that a lot. They dwelled on the blessing of the Lord. If you read uh, Deuteronomy 28 on all the blessings of the Lord, all to do with natural things mainly, of the land and the produce and your family, your children, will all be blessed of the Lord. So sort of almost the Old Testament was a, a natural blessing. What did they look forward to when they left Egypt? The promised land a piece of dirt, and they were going to have an inheritance. That was sort of more the emphasis of the Old Testament. But the New Testament is now the kingdom of heaven. Not a piece of dirt on this planet, but this wonderful future uh, promise to mankind. But to get there, you need to start off with this word, repent. Back there in chapter 3 again, and we see a little bit of, of John the Baptist laying it on. Some of the people who wanted to get baptized Without repentance, just, oh, we're good enough, we ought to get baptized. Verse 7. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, Oh, <laughs> this is pretty heavy going, isn't it? Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits or meat for repentance, or as I said before, answerable to an amendment of life. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Oh, we're good Anglicans. We're good Methodists. We're good Catholics. We've always believed in God. People go through their religious sort of history as though that's got anything to do with it. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up Anglicans and Methodists and Catholics. Children under Abraham. Bible says not to add anything to the Word of God, so I'm going to be careful here. Verse 10. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the, into the fire. So verse um, 8, going back to verse 8, again he uses and talks about the word repentance, but he said there ought to be some evidence of repentance. There ought to be some action that's happening. It's not just a word, not just so I repent, but nothing ever happens. There's a result from it. The whole thought there in the context of this chapter, first thing you talked about was repentance, and then the next thing you talked about was water baptism. And then we see there the baptized people, but he connected the two. The water baptism and the repentance went together. Um, just go to chapter 21. Same book, Matthew 21. Verse 28. Well, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in, the, in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and he went. And he came to a second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not, or he didn't repent, you might say. And whether of them two did the will of his father, they say unto him, The first Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans or the tax collectors and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. But John came unto you in the way of righteousness and you believed him not. We just read that a minute ago. But the publicans and the harlots believed him and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards that ye might believe him. So again this sort of thought that our actions, the way we go about it, whether we listen to the gospel 
on what we do is what is important. A lot of people just sort of say, oh, you know, I just believe God in my heart. And, but they never do anything. They never do what the Bible says anyhow. And um, so he talked about these religious leaders of the time and he just said, you know, you guys, by your very lack of action, rejected the counsel and wisdom of God via John the Baptist. That's what he said. He came, you didn't listen. You didn't change. You didn't alter anything. But these other people who you condemn, the publicans and the harlots and so on, they, by their actions, how, what were their actions? They got baptised. They wanted to get right with God. So really, if we're talking about commitment today, and a lot of people do see it that way, water baptism, rightly so, is a commitment. So when you get baptised, you're really committing something as unto the Lord. You want to follow on. You don't want it just to be a one-day glory. You don't want it just just for today and gone tomorrow. Water baptism, all of it is, but particularly water baptism is this burial of your old way of life. You want to die to it in the, in the form of repentance, then you want to bury it in the waters of baptism. So let's have a look at it in some other scriptures. Chapter 11, same book. Matthew 11, and verse 20. Then he began to upbraid or reproach, tell off, whatever term you want to use, the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, two cities that God judged in the Old Testament, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, obviously a very proud city for some reason, shall be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which were done in thee have been done in Sodom, another city condemned in the Old Testament, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable in the day of, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So, again, the sort of thought here that people have an opportunity to turn to God. We live in a time of signs and wonders and miracles. Go back a couple of hundred years ago, it's pretty well non-existent. Non-existent. They just, no, those sort of things didn't happen. But for the last hundred years, and particularly in the last 50 years or 60 years, it's been very common that we come, have an opportunity to believe in a God of signs and wonders and miracles. And those of us that have been healed, those of us that have been filled with the Holy Spirit and many other wonderful things happen in our life. We believe because we have touched God and we found that it to be true. But he said these people had wonderful opportunity in their very cities and towns and places. The works of God were done, but they repented not. They did not turn to the Lord. Chapter 12 and just in verse 41. Then the men of, uh, very similar to what we just read. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented they repented they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold a greater than Jonah is here and the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba if we normally call her shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater and Solomon is here. So, again, the whole thought that these things happen 
to help us turn to God. And each one of us has got a testimony. We have two testimonies today. Different backgrounds, different countries even. Same message. This is the, the way of the Lord. And in each case, maybe not overnight, where I went to quite a few meetings first, and so on. But then came to realise, this is what I'm looking for. I'm just hoping there is somebody visiting us here today that has not yet been baptised, not yet maybe filled with the Spirit, that you realise that this is an amazing opportunity that you can share with many of us here today. The way of the Lord, salvation, the full gospel, not just part of a gospel. We really do emphasise that we preach the full gospel, the whole box and dice. And if there is anybody in that position today, I'd like you to really seriously think about it, getting baptised today. But don't just do it for today. The word repentance, we've already pointed out, is a commitment for the future. And when you get baptised, that you're starting a whole new way of life. Let's go to the book of Luke now. Finally, another book. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. And there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And we don't know the background to this. There's obviously a Roman leader and that something had happened there and the Roman legion had, legions had stepped in and slaughtered them. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you no or nay, but except you repent, ye shall likewise perish. For those eighteen upon whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye they were sinners above all that were dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. The world is full of people sort of always putting some people in as good and some people as bad. And often, whenever we're telling such a story, we're usually trying to indicate that we're good. And uh, the Lord is just really saying, look, don't judge it that way. You are all sinners. You all need to be saved. You might think, oh, this one's worse than me. Well, there's no sliding scale as far as God's concerned. Sin is sin. And without Jesus Christ, without repenting and being baptised, and later on I'm going to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, without these things... You're not going to make it however good you are. Or however you think, although those bad people over there, we all need to be saved. Everybody needs to be saved. In actual fact, sometimes religious people are in a worse state than non-religious people. Why? Because they suffer with a horrible disease called self-righteousness. Where they're good in their own eyes or other people tell them they're good. They need to repent. At least often sinners, we talk about the publicans and the, uh, the, the, the harlots, you didn't have to convince them that they're sinners, constantly told so every day of their life. They knew they were sinners. The trouble with the Pharisees and religious leaders, they were told the opposite, how godly and what wonderful people are, people kissing their hands and bowing down to them and so on, which was not good for them because they started to believe it. In actual fact, it wasn't true. Let's have a look in Mark chapter 16. Now this is a chapter we haven't turned to for quite a while. At least five minutes anyhow. So we all love Mark 16, and usually whenever we, we turn to it, it was the first scripture that I ever had shown to me by a spirit-filled person. Um, we love reading from verse 15 onwards, and I don't really have a problem with that. We'll do that a little bit to start with. Go you into all the world, he said unto his disciples, 11 of them there, go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to every creature. 
And then he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So he connects baptism with belief. And then he moves on to the word saved. Later on we see in a couple of verses he talks about speaking in tongues. The whole pattern is still here of repentance, water baptism, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. same pattern as it appears in many other parts, particularly the book of Acts. Um, but I want to go back to verse 14, which is what I was going to read. We don't often stop there, but what is it, what's he doing in verse 14? He's bringing them to a point of repentance themselves, or understanding that they were not walking in faith. So in Mark 16, verse 14, he, afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them with their unbelief and the hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Maybe that happens to us sometimes. God sends us somebody. In the Gospel of John in chapter 1, when it talks about John the Baptist, it says, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And, and basically, I've got a job for you to do. And he sent John to baptize, and later on Jesus got baptized as well. Well, God sends people to us to hear the Gospel. Somebody came told us the word. Maybe you've just come in off the street. Well, that may be a little bit different, so... Maybe it's up to me right now to tell you the word. But somewhere there, somebody's going to preach the gospel to you. And the realization here was people have a thing called hardness of heart or disbelief or unbelief. Even calls it an evil heart of unbelief in the book of Hebrews. That's how bad unbelief is. So he upbraided them. And we all need that for then for us to turn to God and say, God, forgive me. Acts chapter 2, but we're going to read again maybe a bit different part of it. We always start at the beginning, which is great, where they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. But on that day he preached to a big crowd that were gathered at the door. And you might say he brought them to repentance. That's the Apostle Peter. Chapter, 20, chapter 2, verse 22. And this is part of his sermon. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye you, you yourselves also know. This is not done secretly. You've all heard of this story. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So that's not pulling his punch. It's a bit like John the Baptist did with the, with the Pharisees. He laid it on them. Your wicked hands have crucified him. Then he goes on, but God, excuse me, has, God has raised, hath raised up, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And he goes on to talk quite a bit about David. I'll just jump ahead a little bit more, and we'll go down to verse 36. He finishes off this little sermon, a lot about King David, a lot about the promises of how Jesus was going to come. But in verse 36 he says to this big crowd, we know at least 3,000 of them got baptized that day. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly or confidently or definitely that God hath made that same Jesus. Here he lays it on them again, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he said, in other ways he said to these people, you are wicked. You are wicked people. And I dare say in their case, 
they would acknowledge if, if what they did, and he was the son of God, then we really are wicked. You know, well, we, we might say, to, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't have been there with that crowd, would you? I'm not so sure about that. We don't know what we would do. Maybe even by our lifestyle, when we hear the gospel, we turn away from it. You know, and uh, we don't want to get involved. So he laid it on them, and he really, he really called upon them to have a change of heart. And that's what happened in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, or they were convicted, and then they repented. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, is there any hope for us? What shall we do? In other words, it's almost like, well, if we've crucified the Son of God, there's no hope for us. But there is. And that is the good news for every one of us here today, particularly anybody that's not yet saved. There is hope. You might think, oh, I'm a sinner. I've done this, I've done that. God couldn't forgive me. Yes, he can. You're a sinner. Did you say you're a sinner? Good. Because God, Jesus said, I have come to save sinners. So the more we recognize that, that's a good thing. And then, so he, he laid it on them. They said, well, what, is there anything we can do? And then we see this pattern that is laid out in verse 38, the same one we've read in the Gospels. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord shall call, even in Elizabeth, Australia. And with many other words did he testify and, and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untowards or crooked generation. We, as I said, love the word full gospel. This is part of what we mean by the full gospel. We want people to do it all. We never preach a gospel that somebody is okay because they had a change of heart. We never preach that they even got baptised and they're okay. No, we never do. What about if they repented and got baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and they're okay? Yes, as long as they walk on with the Lord. As long as the commitment is there. You can do the three great things that are listed here, but the rest of your life you've got to walk with the Lord. The word commitment's got to come in. You've got to commit your life to it. You might think, well, I don't know if I could do that. I haven't got the strength to do it. Everything else I've maybe done in my life has failed. Well, now you're on a winner. You don't have to fail anymore because you won't be doing it in your own strength. When you receive the Holy Spirit that he's talking about here, you have a power inside of you to help you. People, I wonder how many people here, when they came to the Lord, had smoking taken away from them. Now, I bet you double the amount of hands go up. Now, how many people had alcohol taken away from them? I told you it would be double the amount of hands. So, um, praise the Lord. You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, you might think, well, I've got a problem with alcohol, or I don't think I could ever give up cigarettes, or I'm on drugs, or whatever it is. Through the glory and majesty of God, you can be set free from that. You know, if you're an alcoholic in this world, and you join Alcoholics Anonymous, it when you give a testimony and you haven't touched the booze for a year or so, the first thing you're supposed to say is, I am an alcoholic. You recognise the fact you're an alcoholic. But in the Lord, you don't have to do that. You can honestly say, I was an alcoholic. The Lord has totally delivered me. I have no desire for it whatsoever. I digress. I'm going to run out of time. I wonder, maybe the first time ever for me, but... Um, um, 
Thou shalt not tell whoppers. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at, um, well, let's look at the baptism of Jesus. We're going to move more into baptism now. We've talked a lot about repentance. Matthew chapter 3 again. Well, to the, the wonderful noise of water on the roof, we're going to talk about water. And in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him and said, I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. Really, in a sense, what John said was true. He said, well, I am the, the natural born here, even though he had the Holy Spirit from birth. He still was natural born. Mum and Dad, Elizabeth and Zachariah were natural parents. He didn't, he didn't have divine bloodline like Jesus did. Really saying, if anybody should get baptized, it should be me. And you want me, you come to me. And Jesus, you'll notice, did not baptize John the Baptist. He almost asked to be baptized. And why was that? Because it would not really, funny way of putting it, have done him any good. Because he was going to die Old Testament. And water baptism is New Testament. You might have said, surely John the Baptist, New Testament, he laid the foundation for the New Testament, but he didn't partake of it himself. He wasn't there on the day of Pentecost, and so on. But there we see, he comes, Jesus comes and he said, I want you to baptize me as well. Jesus, and when Jesus was baptized, he went up straight away out of the one other he was totally immersed, he went right underneath the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You, when you go through this chapter, you find this same pattern all the way through. The turning to the Lord, the water baptism, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is God's pattern. Later on we understand that um, repentance is a form of death. Not literally, uh, where you want to die to your old way of life. Water baptism is a form of burial. So you bury that old life. Might only be under the water for a split second, but you bury that old life. And then when you, this is figured, it doesn't always happen in that order, but in, in the whole three order happen. We then rise and get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues and We've gone into life of death, burial, resurrection, full gospel. Don't leave any of that out. You know, if you look up, I'll challenge you to do this. Look up Acts 2, verse 37, 38, where it says, Repent and be baptized and filled. I guarantee, look at the artwork of nearly, if not every, everyone on it. They'll have repent, big letters. Be baptized, big letters, and then down the bottom, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit a little bit. They almost don't want to talk about the last bit. They want to emphasize the other two because that's sort of more acceptable. But the whole three, and maybe in, in many ways, the third one is, is the, the, the miracle part, where the, we're born again from within. You know, when, when, uh, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he went really through the same pattern. He really said to Nicodemus, in, in other words, you need to change, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in water. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John 3 has got the same pattern. And then you'll have this newness of life. Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 and verse 29. Just a couple of verses here. And all the people that heard him, 
and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. The very fact that they didn't get baptized, they rejected the counsel of God. And you'll have a lot of people out there say, oh, I love Jesus, you know, I love Jesus. They put on a bit of a religious sort of burst there. And, and then you quote a scripture like, oh, no, I don't need to do that. The way they justified the preaching of John the Baptist and the preaching of, of Jesus was that they got baptized. And it says the others who didn't get it actually their action of, or their lack of action indicated a rejection of the word of God. So your your actions really do make the whole thing work or not work. So those who didn't listen, didn't get baptized, did not in any way counsel the, the wisdom or justice or or the uh, the direction that John the Baptist and Jesus was giving, the others got baptized by their very actions. They indicated they wanted to follow the Lord. Romans chapter 6. I had this scripture read to me when I was sitting on the beach. Holy ground, Brighton Beach. I usually take my shoes off when I go down there. I think about it. It is holy ground. Okay, Romans chapter 6. I was sitting on the beach, 17 years old, had had the full gospel preached to me for about, hate to admit it, about five months, and hadn't really got to doing anything about it. Did believe it. I got to believe it towards the end of 1959. But it wasn't until Pastor John came to our home on the 15th of January 1960. And he turned to my mother that night and said, why don't you get baptized? And she agreed to it. And he turned to my father and he agreed. He turned to me and I agreed. So within less than a minute, he had three people he wanted to be baptised. And he then, this is midnight on that particular day, the 15th of January, it was a Friday, very hot day, sitting out the front on the veranda. Um, it already been under fire from some of my relatives. And it was a blessing they'd gone home. And he was left with the believers, you might say. And um, I, um, uh, we, we agreed to get back. He wanted to run the bath our bath right then and there, which is nothing wrong with that. But my mother wouldn't have that. She'd gone to Wilderness Ladies College. She wasn't going to get baptised in a common bath, that was, and particularly her own bath. So no, she wouldn't agree to that. She said, can I get baptised in the sea? There was no fellowship in Adelaide at the time. We were the beginning of that fellowship. Just a couple of other families had come in. So on the next day, January the 16th, we went down to Brighton Beach, very hot day again, well over 100 degrees that day, or 44 in the old term. And um, and I was chosen that I would get baptised first. And I really did want to get baptised. I'd gone to a Baptist church. They never asked me if I ever wanted to get baptised. On one occasion when I asked them to baptise me, they wouldn't do it, or they put it off for a couple of years. Ridiculous when I think about it. But yeah, I wanted to get baptised. He sent me, this guy Peter Mullen, who baptised me, sat down on the beach with me, and this is what he read out to me. He said, I want you to have some understanding of what you're doing. Start reading verse 3. No, you're not. Well, I didn't know. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we, be, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, 
Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that from henceforth the, the whole future for hereafter we should not serve sin, but we should walk with a lot of other good points in there. That has this wonderful death, burial, and resurrection sort of pattern that is there for it. We preach the full gospel. Well, what about the fact some people do repent and they go along and they get baptized? Do we use the word salvation? I don't, because I haven't completed the deal. I want them to go all the way. Let's have a look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. So maybe I've got a bit of a message in what I'm saying today. But when you are talking to people about the gospel, maybe this is not a bad pattern to follow. Maybe to start off with, repentance, telling them their need to be saved and the urgency of them being saved. Maybe next, talking about water baptism and the importance of water baptism. And then, by all means, talk about signs and wonders and miracles and particularly receiving the Holy Spirit. What you don't want is people just doing one or two of these things and going away with the thought that they're saved. Because you've got to do the whole lot. We here in our fellowship preach the full gospel. We say you've got to do the whole three. We're not going to get excited. Well, maybe we're a bit naughty, aren't we? We might not actually get excited for six months when you're still walking with the Lord. But no, we will get excited when you get baptized and spirit-filled. But it's so much more important that later on you keep walking with the Lord. Now we just see here in First Corinthians and chapter 12, in just one verse in verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. He could say that boldly because he knew the history of the Corinthian church. He was there at its infancy. He started the Corinthian, the guy who wrote this book, the Apostle Paul. So he said, I know you're spirit-filled. I was there when you got spirit-filled. Mostly prayed with a lot of them so he could boldly say, and I'll read it again, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Again, it brings, you might say, no nationality involved in it anymore. Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter. Wealthy, poor, rich, um, well, that is wealthy. Um, whatever all the things that divide us, young and old, um, different nationalities, none of it comes in by one spirit. We've all become one body. We have today many people from different countries, different nationalities, but we are one people in the Lord, and all the people said. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So really it's, it's a whole wonderful package deal. Preach the full gospel. Never be satisfied when you're talking to somebody who ever think, oh, well, they received the Holy Spirit. That's, that's good. But they didn't get baptized. They didn't walk on with the Lord. Don't, there's no rejoicing if they only do a bit of it. The other thing, when you're talking to people about the mighty experience of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you want them to know what's happening. You want them to understand that unfortunately in the world of General Pentecost, only generally, there are lots of people out there that have spoken in tongues, but they have no appreciation of what they've got. There's very little talk about afterwards why they've got it, and even in actual fact, often it's put down as being unimportant. We don't want to be in that category. We get somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, we want them to know what they've got and why they've got it, and all the ramifications of it. I'm really glad 
when I look back on when I was witness to, that it was sort of in the order that I'm talking about. They talked a lot about Jesus. They talked about the fact that I needed to repent. That word was used a lot. They talked about that I needed to be baptized. They talked about I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and talked about what would happen when I was spirit-filled. I got the whole package deal. I wasn't just sort of rushed into something for one day and then it was gone. It gave me a little bit of time to think, by the way, and I got to a point where I did commit. Maybe when we're, when we're witnessing and we're bringing people to the Lord, think of the, the long term, not the short term. By the way, there are no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. You want people to, to do the whole lot. Maybe some people, and often they do all in one day. Some people receive the Holy Spirit before they get baptized. I'm not saying that's wrong. Pastor John said he mostly never would have got baptized unless he spoke in tongues first. So there's cases like there, very religious, very churchy, thought he was right, and the night he spoke in tongues, that then convinced him he should be baptized the right way. So there is that pattern. But as I said, in the Bible, by the way, there was only, that only ever happened once, Cornelius. And there's a reason why it only ever happened once then, because to bring in the Gentiles. But if you read all the patterns, there always seem to be repentance, baptism, infilling of the Holy Spirit, seem to be the general way that the gospel should be presented. Now, you just look at a couple of thoughts to finish. Um, let's go to uh, Romans chapter 8. Can't talk about the Holy Spirit without going to Romans chapter 8. Remember the guy who baptised me, Peter Munn, said that his favourite chapter in the Bible was Romans chapter 8, and you see why. It's all so much about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's just pick it up in verse 9. So if you want any sort of proof that the Holy Spirit is important, look at these verses here today. But, but ye are not in the flesh, verse 9, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or bring to life your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, this is what the importance of verse 12 and 13 is, you no longer owe allegiance to your old life. Maybe even to the natural side of your old life. Maybe mum and dad, if they don't walk on with the Lord. And sometimes we've got to make a stand there. Not, we don't want to offend anybody, but now and again you've just got to make a stand. I guarantee anybody here today that is baptised and spirit-filled will have to make a stand. You'll have relatives that hate what you've done. You'll have your best friend. I had three friends when I came to school, at school, when I came to the Lord. All of them rejected what I did. So friends, relatives, workmates, schoolmates, you're going to have to make a stand. And sometimes we, we balk at that. But you don't need to. You'll lose a few friends and you'll gain thousands you will never remember all their names. I never do. So that's why I go up to them and say, hello brother, hello sister. Why well, that usually means I've forgotten your name. Here's how Trevor, Trevor Gray has a good way of getting around that. He'll say to somebody, oh, what's your name? 
And they'll say, John, oh, I know that. I mean, your surname. But he gets the Christian name, which, which is, oh, that's naughty, isn't it? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, you, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, put down the deeds of, of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Look, there's a lot more in here. It's a wonderful story, the full gospel. We just want to remember, that's what we preach here. We're never satisfied unless people do the whole lot. We want people to live their old life. You got baptized the Spirit filled, you can't go on living the same old life. Smoking doesn't work in the Lord. You might say there's no scripture in the Bible against smoking. No, there's not because it hasn't been invented. Or there is one actually. When it goes through the list of the works of the flesh, it says at the end, and such like. If you look in the Greek, it means smoking. (laughs) If you believe that, you'll believe anything. But look, whatever... Whatever it is out there, we know, we know. We don't have to anybody tell us. We know what's good and what's bad. We know what's a vice. The world will even tell us what it is. You're smoking and you witness to somebody, they'll tell you you shouldn't be doing it if you're a Christian. If you're backbiting at work, they'll say you shouldn't be doing that, you're a Christian. They'll watch you like a hawk, by the way. They'll be looking for every little slip-up you could possibly make. And that's not, that's not bad. That's good. That puts us on their middle. So there you are, brethren. The full gospel... Commitment for life and all the people see. Amen.